Good morning. Our scripture today is found in Acts chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. Acts chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. I don't think I have to say too much. It's all been said practically, hasn't it? Oh, but I'll bore you for a little bit. So, um, could I pass for a minister today? Will do all right? I wanted to at least accomplish that. If I fail on the last part about the delivery and the message, at least... And I, and I knew I had a pretty good chance because two weeks ago I was standing in the halls of Arrowhead Regional Medical Center at San Bernardino County Hospital. And within five minutes, and I just happened to have this shirt and tie on, within five minutes two people came and asked me, excuse me, are you the chaplain? <laughs> so I thought I had a pretty good chance of passing today for a minister. All right, number one's done. Good. The title of the sermon... Things left behind. How many of you have left something behind before? And was that a good thing or a bad thing? Usually when that happens, it's not to, oops, forgot this, uh, left behind. But sometimes leaving something behind can be good. Sometimes leaving something behind can cause problems and other times can benefit others. 1967. Little Milt, I, Big Milt today, Little Milt had to go to Sandy View Academy. And uh, it's a pretty scary situation, going, leaving home, haven't been away from home before, youngster. Some of you have experienced that before, so I'm not telling you anything that you haven't passed through that portal before. But there are certain things that I had to leave behind. I had to leave my plaques and trophies from... School, couldn't take them. I had to leave my Dallas Cowboy team photo at home. It was tough. Couldn't take it to school. I had to leave my cat. Yes, that's right. I had a cat growing up. That's right. You didn't know that, did you? Name was Yo-Yo. And I was one of those guys that liked to work in the summer, so I had a little job working for a carpenter, and I had to leave my job. But there's one thing I wasn't going to leave, and that was a little picture of my girlfriend with a little lock of blonde hair tucked in the corner, and I took that. I could hardly wait for that first break so I could get home because I wanted to see how Yo-Yo was doing. I wanted to make sure that my, the, the dust was cleared off all the shelves and that I could, you know, make my trophy shine plastic, you know, they were important then, and, you know, make sure my picture of the Dallas Cowboy team was there, and I could see my girlfriend. Get home, two and a half months later, get there, all the stuff, dust it off, call my girlfriend, guess what? She left me behind. <laughs> what was that about? Roll forward a few years, 1971. I'm going to Southwestern Union College. I think it's Southwestern Adventist University now, right? It just transitioned from a junior college to a, 
four-year college, and I was excited, and I had to, to leave home again. But I was pretty big, but I still had to leave my trophies. I had a few more. I had to leave my Dallas Cowboy team picture behind. I had to leave my cat, Yo-Yo. Very sad. And I had to go off again to college by myself. But I remember to take a picture of my girlfriend. Beautiful picture. Nice little lock of dark hair. Sweet. Could hardly wait to get back home. Just before Christmas, got home. There they were, my cat. My cat, Yo-Yo, loved me. Wouldn't talk to anybody else, but purred in my ear almost every night. Trophies. I didn't get any new ones yet. Called up my girlfriend. She left me. She left me behind. This was getting bad. Well, anyway, off to school again. By the way, it took me four colleges to get through school and 10 years and trade school and stuff, so I have a lot of experience going to school. So I went to school again. Hinsdale Hospital School of Radiology. I got tired of cleaning toilets and being a janitor. I was going to take x-rays and be someone important. Besides, they wore white coats. You have to be good if you wear a white coat. My cat was gone. Yo-Yo passed away while I was in college. That was sad. And the trophies, oh, they were in the drawer. Whatever. Didn't see them anymore. My Dallas Cowboy team picture. Who knows what happened to it? Heartbreaking, actually. And I didn't have a picture to take with me. Here's the good news. That's where I met Janice. And I started liking what I saw there, and we started doing things together. We're talking, you know, have ice cream and different opportunities, and we had a lot of fun, and things were going good. And the last thing I wanted to do was leave, because I knew if I left, I'd get left behind. <laughs> so I stuck it out for the full two years. Things left behind. We'll get to that in a second. About 25 years ago, my father passed away. I was a youngster, and uh, I miss him. But he left some things for me. And there are two things he left for me, specifically, that I cherish. And I wanted to share those with you today. Is that okay? All right. I had to hide them in this thing. You, th you thought this was my sermon. All right. When people leave things for you, there's a purpose and a meaning. My father specifically said, Son, I want you to have my Bible. Now, if you don't know, I'm a PK. My father was a preacher. Don't hold it against me. He said, I want you to have my Bible, and I want the flag that's on my coffin in your home. 
This sends a message about who my father is and was. What he was about. Things you leave behind says something about your character. About what you've done or haven't done. What you plan to do. Who you plan to be and where you plan to go. I got tired of living without my Dallas Cowboy cheerleader. I mean, I, did I say cheerleader? <laughs> Calendar? Oh, no. My Dallas Cowboy team photo. I've replaced it with this nice thing here. This has an actual piece of the Texas Stadium in it. Not impressed. Okay. They're tearing this down. I have a piece of history right here. Just two years ago, I was there, and I saw them beat the Green Bay Packers. How much better does that get? Well, she took me to Green Bay the year before, and Dallas lost. So I got her back. Things you leave behind. Today's the 4th of July. In 1776, Second Continental Congress got together and signed what? Declaration of Independence. Now, for those of you who are experts, you know that some didn't sign that day, and there are a few things. But I tell you what, it's important to know. I have, you know what this is? Pete, what is it? A crisp hundy. Who is on the hundy? Okay. Can anyone tell me, the first person can tell me, all 56 names on the Declaration of Independence, I'll give them this $100. Come on, there's only 56 names. Come on now. $100. Okay. Here's $50. How about half the names? No can do? Oh, boy. All right. Here's $10. I know Eric's in here. It's good. I'm sweating right now. All right. Ten names signed on the bottom of the Declaration of Independence. Ten names. Anyone? I have them listed here. What's that? That's seven. Well, that's close enough, Eric. Did you say pin? Did you say pin? The last name, pin. Okay. I, I, I knew Eric would be there. All right, ten names. All right. We don't have to worry about five names, so I get to keep the five dollars with my 50 and hundy. All right, a dollar, the first person that tells me the largest signature on the, who said that over here? Somebody, did you say that? Oh. These men 
along with tens of thousands of others, left behind an idea. They left behind an opportunity. They left behind a promise that individuals and for individuals to be able to live united together to develop a nation of people who would forever signify freedom. We often think of the Declaration of Independence and we think about the second sentence most often. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by the Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Things left behind. You get the idea. Now the meat. Acts was written by Luke, a Gentile physician. He wrote the Gospel of Luke also. Both books were written to the same person. Their letters, Theophilus. What does Theophilus mean? Okay. One who loves God. He wrote letters to Theophilus. Acts starts where the Gospel of Luke ends. In essence, the book of Acts is the connecting link between the life of Jesus and the life of the church Jesus planned. When you read the book of Acts, it's important to think about what you are reading in the context of the first letter, the letter called the Gospel of Luke. These tie together. They can be thought of as part one and part two. If I, read and, um, if I read a thought in the book of Acts and don't connect it to what was going on in Luke, I may miss something. After all, all the basic and fundamental teachings of Jesus, the idea that Jesus was the Son of God, and here's the proof that Luke outlined for Theophilus, is in Luke. And so, given that Theophilus already knows that, sometimes in Acts, he uses phrases or words that we often skip by. And we don't think about its depth and meaning. For instance, phrases such as, in verse 3 of Acts 1, spoke about the kingdom of God. Hmm. Let's look at Acts, the first chapter. Because that's where we'll be spending our time. Acts, the first chapter. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. When the phrase the kingdom of God is put in the context of the first letter, Luke, we begin to understand more about what Jesus was trying to tell the disciples during this time. Theophilus understood exactly what Luke meant. He may have remembered the words of Luke's first letter, which told the story of Jesus visiting Zacchaeus. And Jesus said to Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come to this house, 
because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Let's read Acts, continue reading in Acts, the first chapter, starting in verse 4, where we left off. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them a command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they meet together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up in the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee... Oh, isn't that an interesting thing? Men of Galilee. Hmm. Who was standing there watching that? Do you remember? And I imagine Luke is thinking about Peter, James, and John. He could have said, oh, hey, you fishermen, what are you doing? Men of Galilee identifies exactly who they are, so you know who they are. They were called men of Galilee all in Luke. Okay. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken away from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So here, Luke introduces and begins a new chapter in the life of those who would follow Jesus and who believed in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They were now going it alone. Jesus was gone to heaven. What did Jesus take with him when he went up, when he ascended up? Anything. What's that? Earthly body. Excellent. What else? Scars. Those are two that I thought of. What else? Victory. Excellent. Memories, yes. What else? And relationships, yes. And did he take a responsibility with him? What's his responsibility? What did he take with him? Later on, Paul tells us. What's that? To be our high priest. Thank you, Eric. All right. And there are the disciples. But I got to thinking, after reading, what things did Jesus leave behind? And when I read the first 11 verses of Acts and compared that language and the discussion here to Luke, I think I came up with five things that Jesus left behind. And I found them here in the writing. Verse 1 and 2, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all the thing, all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Right there was number one. What did Jesus leave behind? 
What's that? Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Still to come, right? Instructions. Mm -hmm. Here's what I got out of that. An unfinished task. What does Luke say a task is? Telling the story of Jesus. Telling what Jesus did and what Jesus taught. What things did Jesus do or teach? What is this unfinished task that, that is, is here left for these, these men? Jesus healed. He healed the sick, the crippled. He raised people from the dead. He provided food and drink for those in miraculous ways. He preached and told stories about his father. He said, when you've seen me, you've seen the father. He made it known that the gospel is for all and not for a select few. He lived those activities, didn't he? And he taught that to love and care for one another. I and my father are one. Obedience to God's law is important. Live selflessly. Faith in God is essential. Matthew puts it a different way. In this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to all the world. Jesus left an unfinished task. Did the gospel reach all the world when Jesus left? Whose responsibility is it now? And the disciples have this awareness this is going to be ours. In verse 3, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them, uh, to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Hmm. An unalterable message. He left them an unalterable message. So what is the kingdom of God? Psalms 103:19. The kingdom of God is the rule of an eternal sovereign God over all creation and all things. Daniel 4:3. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. The kingdom of God is also a designation of a sphere of salvation entered into by a new birth. John 3, 5 through 7, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of the water and of the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The kingdom of God embraces all created intelligence, both in heaven and in earth. All who are willing subjects to the Lord and who desire fellowship with him. The kingdom of God is therefore universal. It includes everyone, every created being, angels and men. It is eternal as God is eternal. And it is spiritual, found within all born-again believers. We enter the kingdom of God when we are born again, and we are part of, the, of that kingdom for eternity. The kingdom of God is a relationship. Being born of the Spirit 
is the beginning of a relationship with God. And we have a confident assurance that it is so because the Spirit bears witness with our spirits. Romans 8.16 says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Verse 8. Verse 8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Jesus left behind unlimited power. Unlimited power. Paul states in Romans 15, Through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about into Orusium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. The Spirit equips us to serve by giving Him, us, you, and me gifts of service. In 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14, Paul deals with the gifts of the Spirit. We're familiar with chapter 13. Not only does he deal with the gifts of the Spirit, he also deals with the fruits of the Spirit. And we should not confuse them. Using the gifts of the Spirit without the fruits of love, Paul says, is what? Is done in vain. Right? Paul makes it very clear. Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I have become a sounding, uh, sounding brass or clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Unlimited power through a relationship with Jesus. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all preachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts? And yet, I show you a more excellent way. And what is that more excellent way? Living in the Spirit. Letting the gifts of the Spirit flow and fill your life so that you can share and fill others. The fruits of the Spirit, and we know what those are, right? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faith, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Certainly, if these attributes are part of our life, It is the Spirit that acts within us. And it's the actions of God that runs through us, giving us the unlimited power to carry on the unfinished task. Next, I believe Jesus left an unshakable testimony. Jesus understood this unshakable testimony and his responsibility to share with his disciples In his prayer for the disciples, Jesus says in John 17, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Again, Father, uh, later on in Jesus' prayer, he says, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they, have not, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. 
the Bible is an unshakable testimony that we have as to the character and love of God. Fifth, Jesus left behind an unfailing promise. Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking in the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Do you believe this unfailing promise? If you do, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded. And surely I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. Unfinished task, an unalterable message, unlimited power, unshakable testimony, and an unfailing promise. An unfinished task for me to participate in. Unalterable message, for me to share, unlimited power for me to pray for and use, unshakable testimony for me to live by, unfailing promise for me to believe in. I'm glad Jesus left these things behind. What are you doing with the things that Jesus left behind? What things are you leaving behind? And so, mighty God, we give our lives to you. We know that you have left us so much. We want to work with you. We want to live with you. We want you to dwell in us and through us. Help us with this challenge, Lord. And may we walk out these doors this week with a new vigor, a new understanding, and a realization that there is work to do. In Jesus' name.